Because my whole thing working with people is not only just to manage their money and whatever, but it's to basically make sure that they're on the road to where they want to go, which ultimately is retirement or some version of financial independence. So we're all on that journey there, whether we think about it or not. And some of us are far more prepared than others. So I found that even though like people that, you know, very smart people, hardworking people, business owners, even though they're super capable people, they let their finances just go to the wayside because either they don't have that much interest in it, they don't understand the importance of managing it well, or they just don't have the time because they're so busy. I try to basically both educate them and then keep them on target and help them have a plan to achieve what they want to achieve eventually. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. Welcome back to Ice Cream with Investors. I'm your host, Matt Four, And on today's show, we have on Joe DeSanto. Joe is a fractional CPA and a consultant to small businesses. He is also the founder of the blog, Play It Louder, which is a resource for high net worth individuals to help them understand how they can accelerate their net worth. I was interested on having Joe on the show because he talked through different ways that we can automate our bookkeeping process to really understand what's going on, not only in a small business, but in our own personal economy as well. You want to stay tuned to this episode as well, because we go through Joe's journey as an active real estate investor to a more passive real estate investor and why he decided to make that switch. I hope you enjoyed today's show. All right, Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, man, what's happening? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. We like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice All cream? Right. Favorite ice cream. Oh, man, it's a tough one. I have a lot of favorites. One of my classic go-to favorites would be cookies and cream. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love a good cookies and cream. I love it. I love it, too. I'm also a big chocolate and combo, like chocolate and heat bar crunch guy, too. I try to mix it up. So definitely <laughs> toppings, not a purist. I don't do toppings, but there are some ice creams at our local place that have Heath Bar Crunch in it. Yeah, I go for those. Yeah. Yeah. So you are in the Tampa, more specifically Dundedon area. If we're in that local area, where's the best place we can go get some ice cream? Our pretty much go-to spot is Strachan's Ice Cream. They're a local little chain. So they got maybe three or four locations in the main spots of Pinellas County. And we have one right downtown. So that's our go-to. And we really like it. Love it. I'm coming to a Tampa at the end of December, so I might swing over there and grab some. Oh, awesome, man. Tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Yeah. So today what I do is I'm a fractional CFO, which basically is fancier way to say a part-time CFO for like multiple small businesses and some higher income individuals. And so I call myself a CFO slash business manager. So when you do it for people, often the term business manager is more commonly used When you do it for a business, it's more of a CFO kind of a thing, but it's all the same principles really in my mind. Because I always say you should treat your personal financial life like a business. And then otherwise I have a blog and I am a real estate investor or passively real estate investing these days, less active. But prior to my current gig, I lived in Los Angeles and I own a post-production and production companies and they are still going. My partners you know, cashed me in about 2018, mainly because we had a child a few years prior to that. And 
I quickly learned that children take up like a lot of your time, as it turns out, like crazy amount of your time. I guess it depends how you do it. But I didn't really want to be like complete either absentee or not even just physically absentee, but like mentally absentee dad, where like I was always thinking about work and on the phone and stressed out and whatever. And up until having the kid, I could just do work all the time. And then I would go out after and have fun and go for drinks. And it was like very carefree sort of lifestyle. But all of a sudden we had to get home and I was like, no fun. I felt like I was just like all wound up and like waiting for the call that I didn't know was coming in. And I couldn't like really switch over to kid mode really well. So I don't know somewhere along the line, my wife and I came up with this cockamamie idea to like just blow up our lives and like try to do it differently and figure out if we could work less and have better family kind of experience. And so somehow we mustered up the gumption to do that and ended up moving or what I like to call retreating to cheaper ground because <laughs> Los Angeles, the overhead's pretty high over there. And I ended up, like you said, moving to the Tampa area, a town called Dunedin, which is a, like a delightful sort of little coastal small town vibe. Like I call it a coastal suburb of Tampa. So, yeah. So in that transition, it's funny, my partners at the time who they were supportive a little bit like this crazy. They were like, hey, what if you just keep doing the finance stuff? Because I did a bunch of things like I was the finance side, business side, marketing, branding, that kind of stuff. And none of them had ever really done any of the finances for the business and even paid that much attention to them because I'm pretty good at it and they trusted me. But they were like, hey, could you just maybe keep doing that and we'll just pay you like a retainer or something? Because you can do it from wherever. Because part of the other thing we wanted was like a more of a mobile lifestyle so we could travel yeah. more and just not be like chained down to the business, or at least that's what I was thinking and wanting. So I said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, actually, because I don't really have exactly a plan. Like I said, we'd done real estate investing along the way. We've been building our passive income, like cash flow from real estate and also from some stocks. So that was going to be some of our income, but it wasn't going to be enough. Like I was saying before, maybe it could be enough if I was like one of those extreme fire people and was willing to live on, I don't know, $30,000 a year, but that's not us. We like creature comforts. So we were like, if we combine that with part-time income of some kind, we think we could do it. And my former partners keyed up this fractional CFO thing. I didn't even call it that at first, but I started to get some other clients. And one of the clients I ended up getting when we were having a conversation, they were like, oh, we're looking for a fractional CFO. That's kind of sounds like what you do. And I was like, yeah, I guess I am a fractional mm -hmm. CFO. I just call it a finance a term. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that's pretty good. I'm going to stick with that. But like, anyway, they ended up hiring me to be their fractional CFO. And since then, it's just slowly been building that little business up. So it's kind of like a business management firm, if you will. I'm not a CPA or an attorney, but what I find that I do is... I bridge the gap a lot between people, CPAs and attorneys, like CPAs and attorneys notoriously punt issues to each other all the time. Yeah. And I'm like the glue. So like a family office, a small family office would probably be like a CPA and attorney and kind of a business manager, I think like me. So I sometimes say that I offer poor men's family office because my whole thing working with people is not only just to manage their money and whatever, but it's to basically make sure that they're on the road to where they want to go, which ultimately is retirement or some version of financial independence. So we're all on that journey there, whether we think about it or not. 
And some of us are far more prepared than others. So I found that even though like people that, you know, very smart people, hardworking people, business owners, even though they're super capable people, they let their finances just go to the wayside because either they don't have that much interest in it, they don't understand the importance of managing it well, or they just don't have the time because they're so busy. I try to basically both educate them and then keep them on target and help them have a plan to achieve what they want to achieve eventually. So let's talk about that because we have financial advisors out there that help people understand from an investment standpoint, you're going to need X amount of dollars in the future and here's our plan to get there. But one of the things that I think people are historically bad at, including myself, is looking at your personal economy. So I've Mm -hmm. signed up for a tool called Personal Capital, which basically, and I linked it all to my investments and my expenses and my income coming in. So it can give me a snapshot of how much is coming in, how much is going out, what I'm quote unquote profiting or saving and investing. If I come to you for the first time, what does your cadence look like? How do you get people set up on the right? It depends how much they want to spend. Like for the people that are like, want to hire me on retainer, a lot of times they're business owners or high income individuals, and they have like enough money to spend a monthly basis to have someone just do this for them. But I look at it like this. If you own a business or you think about any business, if you were, say you were thinking about investing in a business and then you found out that they didn't do any bookkeeping for the business. You would just be like, this sounds really weird. And I don't know that I want to invest because how do I know if you guys are even profitable? And they're like, this bookkeeping is annoying. You know what I mean? No one wants to do it. And we're just like focused on doing the business. You would be like, that's just crazy and sounds really stupid and you're dumb. But that's what people are doing with their personal financial life. They're not paying any attention to it. So if someone's going to hire me to like do it all for them or quote unquote retainer, a lot of times they're a business owner and we start with their business and they're like in their mind, they're like, I got to pay someone to do this for my business. I know it's important. And then I educate them in this very simple idea that I know you're doing your business for passionate reasons and all this important and good things, but ultimately your business is there to build you a nest egg (laughs) and provide for you in the long run in one way or another, or I guess that's at least a huge portion of what it's there for. So I'm like, we can do your business finances, but if we stop there and we don't really pay attention to the personal, we're not really seeing if the business is truly benefiting you in a good enough way in the long run. And also, when it comes to your taxes and tax planning, you have to look at the whole thing as one big system. The money is in the business, it transfers over to you at some point in one way or another, and then it goes down through the taxation process. And tax planning involves looking at both your personal finances and your business finances together to achieve the most efficiency. I always say to people like, if you're going to pay to do this, let's go the extra step and do your whole financial life and we'll get you like on a plan and on track. And you'll know that everything you're doing today is going to result in this sort of far off mystical requirement of retirement that eventually you're going to need. And it's, I don't like to like just boil down everything you do in life as preparation for retirement, because it's not just that. But the reality is that retirement, either forced or not forced or taken early, whatever it is, it is coming. And you're going to have to be able to sustain yourself probably without your business or without being able to work, whatever. And you don't want to start thinking about that too late. Usually a lot of people call me in, in their 40s and they're like, I'm getting tired. I have a couple of kids. College is like getting close. And I just don't know if like I'm prepared enough. Like, I don't know if I've 
I feel like maybe I haven't spent enough time thinking about this. Yeah. But that's a lot of times where people come to the harsh realization. They've been working for 20 years. They're starting to see that people in their 50s and 60s actually get replaced at their job by younger people. And it's against their will. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that you can't just work forever, nor do you want to work forever. I don't care how much you love your job or your business. So I try to help people like look at the big picture and have a plan and stay on track. For the people that are very deep into their business and might not have a passion for finance or know that they need to get their financial house in order, but don't particularly care for finance, do you have any tools or processes that you recommend for them to capture some of this data and get going in the right direction? Yeah. And I guess I never answered your very direct question, like, how do you set people up? So I apologize. My preference is Quicken for personal financial world. And even if you are the sole owner of your business and your business is not particularly like retail and have inventory and various things, it's more of like a consulting thing or a smaller scale thing. I just do it all in Quicken. And Quicken's not unlike personal capital. Quicken was like, the original like personal yeah. finance software. You had to go to like Staples and buy like a CD or whatever. And I actually started using it in college because I was going into big debt and I was like, I don't know. I feel like I got to pay attention to how much I spend in a day. It started a like you'd read some books about how to do that. And people were like, you got to take a journey, keep a journal and write it down. And so I started writing it down. And then I was like, at the end of the week, I was like trying to add up all these pages of notes. And I'm like, there has to be a computerized way to do this. Of course there was. So I started with Quicken a long time ago and I just like it. I think it's like the most robust. It, you can grow with it. You can do your business in there. You can do your real estate in there really easily. You can do your investments. You can do your personal accounts and it can grow with you. I've managed a lot of stuff in my Quicken. Whereas some of my personal capital, it's cool. It's a free tool. It's web-based. Well, I did back in the 90s. Now, obviously, <laughs> you don't have to do that anymore. But um, You're the Office Depot now. Yeah, I go to Office Depot now, of course. Yeah, but there's plenty of tools. Personal capital, as you said, is one of them. But to me, personal capital... It's not as it's a free tool and it's a lead generator for of an investment company. So it's not going to be like built solely for this purpose, but it's pretty good for free. But there's other things like mints free, but you got to endure like all sorts of ads and things like that. Quicken, I like it. And the only problem with Quicken is because it's so old, it's kind of, I call it a legacy software. It's built back when it was built, it was like a database file on your computer. So they, Quicken used to be owned by Intuit, which owns QuickBooks. They used to own both brands. They sold off Quicken and made and bought Mint and made Mint their personal finance brand. But Quicken has continued on. I think it was bought by like private equity. And they're slowly like figuring out a way to transition it, I think, to being fully a web-based thing. But right now, it kind of like straddles both worlds. And it's like, you still have a database file, then it syncs online. But I like it because... It's faster to work on a database file like on my computer. And then it has a portal that like my clients can log into if they want. I don't know. That was a really long diatribe yeah. about Quicken. I don't work for Quicken. Just FYI. Yeah. I just like it. <laughs> the importance there is that you have some sort of software that's automating what you're spending, what's coming in and your assets. So you can kind of understand where you're quote unquote, profiting or saving and investing each year. Yeah. Ultimately, as I mentioned earlier, you treat your personal finances like a business. You just do bookkeeping, which people do find tedious. So if you have the money and you can pay someone to do it, great. The other option is maybe you hire someone to be like a coach where maybe you talk to them once a month for an hour and they you accountable and make sure you do your homework and then you review your finances. But I think at least for a while, if you do the bookkeeping and then the software really is just there to aggregate the data and then spit out a report that you can read and see, oh, okay, I made this much money. I spent this much money. 
this was the difference. This is the net income, AKA my savings, and I'm doing well. Or shoot, I made this much money, but I spent this much money and I actually lost money this year. Like I didn't save anything. Like I just went in the hole. And I think people can sometimes fake themselves out. There's lots of gimmicks about saving and you put some money in this account every month, pay yourself first, yada. And those are all kind of good things. But at the end of the day, if you put $10,000 in this savings account, over here, but then your credit card balances went up by $15,000 over here. You didn't really save any money. You just lost $5,000. Doing it for real, like a business, like you really can see like the true reality. But again, it takes a little bit of work with the bookkeeping. You either got to decide, hey, I pay someone to do it, or I'm going to do it myself, or I'm going to do it somewhere in the middle and have a coach and just have someone that I report to, I guess. It's not unlike a trainer at the gym. It's funny, like, I'm really good at doing my finances. Like, I don't know why I weirdly enjoy it. I always have. It's therapeutic for me, but I hate going to the gym. And those two things are really good for you. They're just good things to do. But for whatever reason, I'm not a gym person or an exercise person. So I have a trainer and I begrudgingly drag myself over there because I know he's waiting and he I feel guilty if I just didn't show up. So that can work with your finances as well. Yeah. I had someone once say, you need to tell your money where to go, not ask it where it's been. And that's how I'm summarizing this whole conversation. Yeah. Part of the info, it's about getting the information and being in control and like making informed decisions based on data going forward in your life. One of the things we were talking about before the show is how you've been able to achieve a level of financial independence through investing and through real estate investing. I know that you've done commercial, you've done some residential. I guess, help us understand what does your portfolio look like? In the last like two years, I've transitioned my portfolio to be a little less real estate heavy because I was pretty much almost 75, 80% real estate, my portfolio, most of my investing years. I just always liked real estate. The stock market is like, it's a mystery in that there's so many things going on there. Like so many weird things could happen. Elon Musk could tweet something and the stock will go. Down. But real estate's really simple. It's just, there's a few major systems in the house. You got income, you got expense. It's like a little business and it's tried and true. And I think ultimately you get like a superior return for less risk on the whole with real estate. So I've always made that my focus, but I went down the route of getting a lot of single family rentals and I did really well with them on appreciation because the last basically decade has been a bull market of everything. But the cash flow is pretty random. It could be good one year, you could have a great year, and then the AC breaks and you just unwind all your cash flow. And I couldn't really do single family rentals in California because it's just too expensive. So I went to smaller markets doing like turnkey stuff. And obviously you have management fees and all that too. But I did it anyway and it worked out really well. But I decided in the last few years, one, I want to balance my overall portfolio to not be so real estate heavy. So now I'm like 50% real estate equity and then 50% other, mostly market stuff, but some market, some crypto and some insurance. I agree with you on the single family. Like it's very lumpy. I think our listeners know that I still have a single family portfolio, but I just got tired mm -hmm. of the fact that one thing could happen, AC roof, flooding, and all of a sudden you lose your cash flow for the entire year in that unit. Yeah, it's a single point. Exactly. I started moving into the commercial real estate side. What does your 50% of your real estate look like? Is it commercial? Is it single family? Yeah. So like? one thing that we did along the way with the business is we bought two buildings to house our business sequentially, not at the same time. So we bought and fixed up a commercial space from 2018, 2015, sold that, made some money, bought a new one, a better one. And so that is a big portion of my real estate side, the equity of that. 
And that produces cash flow. Like, even though I no longer am partnering, the business is renting that property and is a great tenant and it's triple net. And I just get my cash flow from it, as do my partners. So, that I, I don't know what percentage of that I would say, I would say the very expensive building in Los Angeles. So, I think the equity of that probably represents half my real estate holdings. And then I have a couple single family rentals still, but that are in Florida. Sorry, actually, I just sold one of those. So I'm down to one single family rental in Florida here that I manage. Then we have equity in our own home, which I consider an investment. My homes have always produced great returns as investments. The idea that your house is not an investment makes no sense to me. So we have some equity in our house. And then what I did was, is as I sold off some of the other single family rentals in the smaller markets, I took that equity and started doing syndications, which are basically all commercial syndications. So there's some industrial flex, like corporate office park, some retail, and all of those produce much more like predictable, steady cash flow, and I don't have to do anything. I'm liking that so far. So it's like I still have one rental here that I'm in. We got the building that's triple net, and then a bunch of syndications, and that is basically the real estate portfolio now. So I find out over the years, and I was up to like, I think, like you, 10 single family rentals. And it's just, if it wasn't such good appreciation, I could be debating the value. And a lot of people will say it's hard to scale it. And the other thing about it is that I found was some people are like, oh, you buy the rentals and you just get them paid off. And then they give you cash flow in perpetuity. They never tell you that they get trashed over the course of 15 or 20 years. And you have to do a complete whole home renovation at some point to get the property to be up to any reasonable rental state. So I had to do that a few times. And I think there's a sweet spot of turning over the single families, which is not unlike how syndications work. Five to 10 year timeline, see where the value is going to be. And then hopefully you get into it with relatively newer systems. And maybe you get out of that property before all those systems break down and you have to replace them and you really actively manage your portfolio. But that takes work. One of the things I love that you mentioned at the beginning of the show was being more intentional with your kid and kids take up a lot of time and a lot of space and you want to make sure that you're present with them. I go on big tangents about how people on social media are, I have this much under management and a billion dollars AUM and all this sorts of stuff, but they're not being intentional with their family, which makes them in my mind poorer than somebody like yourself who is, hey, I've got a decent sized portfolio, but what I'm really good at is being a great father. And also want to talk through, like you mentioned, the single family is lumpy. I've definitely had that experience. And since I've gotten involved in more syndications and putting together deals and things like that, it's more stabilized, predictable cash flow, which in a time of 2021 looked like a stupid decision. And in a time of 2022 makes me look like a brilliant decision. I just think steady Eddie up into the right is the best way other than let me try to go find the next trend. So I guess my question would be, as someone that's not actively doing real estate every single day, how did you go find your syndicators and how did you underwrite them as a person that you wanted to invest with? The kind of standard bits of research, obviously looking online, talking to people, I go on podcasts like this. So I've met some people and gotten referrals that way from hosts like yourself. And then the ones that I ended up going with, which is really two, I had calls with them and tried to do my best to vet how they manage their properties, how long they've been in business, like what their backup plan is, blah, 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 blah. Do your very best to try to suss them out and see, get a good sense of how it's going to go. 
And then I actually hired an outside firm to do like vetting of them from like a criminal perspective and just had background checks done. So I spent some money to do that, but it gave me that final sense of security. It's tough to hand over money to people. That's why I always did it myself. So it's a little bit of a leap of faith. And that's what got me over the final leap of faith. But it's weird. You have to ask the owner of the syndication company, okay, I need your social security number and blah, 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 because I'm just basically going to go have a private detective essentially goes to sniff out you've done wrong. And if they give you, it's awkward to ask that. But at the same time, if they're like, oh, I don't want you to do that, then you're going to be like, why not? You put yourself out there and you're taking hundreds of thousands of dollars from people. You're going to have to go under the scrutiny a little bit. They were fine with that, obviously. And it was pretty par for the course. One of them in particular does a lot with larger family offices as well. And so they're used to that. It's like, big money. They don't leave stones unturned. So it was totally normal for him. But for me, as just like an individual investor, first time syndicator, it was like a little weird, but that's what I did. Yeah, I completely agree with the criminal check. I personally never have done that, but I've heard of other people doing that. And look, at the end of the day, if somebody's hesitant about you running a background check, on them, then there's probably a reason why. It's not just a criminal thing. The owner of that company is a former attorney, blah, blah, blah. And he touted a lot of that as value for him as an owner. And obviously there is. Let's make sure he actually went to law school where he said he went to law school. Just stuff like that. Once it all checks out, you're like, did I need to do that? I don't know, but and spend the money on it. But I was like, it makes me sleep at night. And the person I found that they do a lot of that specifically for wealthy families, individuals. And they were like, commonly people spend, depending how big the deal is that we're, it's like from half a percent to a percent potentially of the deal size in the depth of the background check. Cause he's obviously the more you spend, the deeper and deeper I can go. But he's, if you're investing in my case, say $50,000, he's, you don't want to overdo it. It's not yeah. like you're betting the entire farm. Let's just make sure he doesn't have any felon. That person. Yeah, let's just check the basics, make sure everything he said checks out and he hasn't made anything yep. up. Yeah. Joe, fantastic conversation. I want to be cognizant of your time now and switch us to sure. our last round. And we're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Okay. A book I read recently was really great because it just kind of spoke to a bunch of things that concerned me about commonly accepted retirement planning tenants is The Lost Science of Compound Interest. Now, it turned out this book is pretty much a brochure for a product that this dude, the author, Curtis, what's Curtis's last name? I can't remember, has created and sells. So you could look at it that way. But at the same time, even if you remove that, what he talks about and the problems of retirement planning and how essentially the overall plan doesn't really add up that well. It was really validating for me to read that. And I ended up getting in touch with him, checking out his product and even got one of his plans. I like the book so much. And he's a very math data driven dude. And there's a lot of that in the book. So that was just something that really like grabbed me as of late. Yeah. The uninterrupted compound interest is the form of that. I was having this conversation last night, a penny doubled every day for 30 days is $5 million, but you remove one day and it's like 2.5. It's like half right. of it. You remove right. another one, it's like 800,000. So the uninterrupted compound interest is, it sounds like something I'd be super interested yeah. in. Yeah. I think it's a good book just in general, but again, I'd readily admit it, it is a bit of a brochure as well. Yeah. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are some of the habits that you have? It's a blessing and a curse, but I'm a bit obsessive and D-ish. Like I'm a Virgo, basically, so I'm super organized. But I've put it to good use in my life. When I get 
into a project, like I just get extremely focused and I almost obsess about it until it's done, which can be a killer. It's actually part of that reason why I was saying I couldn't really switch over, switch gears when I got home with my son because my mind just gets so focused. So it's a blessing and a curse sometimes. It's a curse if you want to just relax, but it is a blessing if you want to accomplish things. For me, that's just been one of the things that's worked really well for me. It's to get laser focused on something and just keep going until it's done. Yep. Our third one. I don't know if that answered your question exactly, but there you go. Yeah. It's interesting enough. (laughs) Our third one is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice I've ever received? Man, just do it yourself. (laughs) What does that mean? It's again, maybe not the most perfect advice, but don't rely on others. The basic old 10 of if you want something done right, do it yourself. Until you can have the best people around you helping you achieve your goals, you really got to focus and do things yourself. Learn a lot. Sometimes I say, teach yourself everything. Yeah. Our fourth one is, what are you most proud of in your life? Wow. I don't know. It'd be tough to have just one thing. And I would feel bad if I didn't say it was my son, because I am very proud of him. But in terms of like my own official accomplishments, I would say starting the business and growing the business. It was... We started the business in 2006 where like you couldn't just have an online business and have no overhead and and post-production is a physical location type of operation. We had to quit our jobs and we had to put as much money as we had in the bank up to get it going, take out a bunch of loans and really put kind of everything we had on the line at the time with the idea that it may work, it may not. But we did it, me and my three partners and like I worked the phones basically and just like Over the years, just built it brick by brick. And before we knew it, we had 30 employees and two Emmys. And it was just an awesome part of that. Post-production work takes a lot of editing and like hands-on the keyboard and things like that. Yeah, that's it. It's editing. It's like visual effects, color correction, graphic design, animation. We had two sound bays. So those artists are all working and it's a long hours business. I was more like business side project manager dealing with the clients, blah, blah, blah. But I don't miss basically working 48 hours straight to meet some crazy deadline for Call of Duty or whatever. But that's still happening at our office probably as we speak. Right. (laughs) Our fifth one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, man. Hopefully these days it would be Eckhart Tolle. You know who Eckhart Tolle is? I don't. The other probably even more life-changing book. It's not about finance. His seminal book is A New Earth. And he's basically like a spiritualist person. He's German. And if every German we've ever worked with in the film business has been like meticulous and just really intense and does beautiful work. So it's like he's a German spiritualist where he's written this book that is broken down, like how to understand your mind and spiritualism in such like an amazing way and detailed way and thoughtful way that like, I know it just had a really big impact on my life. Read it or listened to it. I've listened to it. I don't know how many times now. I listened to it going to sleep now. At a time where I was like trying to get more into that, be more present and all the things I was talking about with my kids. So I guess I was really open to it, but it's just like a profound book. And I recommend it to everybody. It probably requires 10 listens really to get it all. But there's so many things you're like, wow, exactly. Oh, wow. I never really thought about it that way. Oh, man, that's crazy in that book. One of my favorite things about this show is somebody saying a random person like this that I've never even heard of and getting a chance to go research them. So that's probably what my night will be. Yeah, about. dude, check it out. You might even say it's more known because the power of now, uh, but I would read the new earth first 
and then read The Power of Now, because the New Earth puts everything in a much bigger holistic perspective. And The Power of Now, then you focus on that book. Got it. Joe, fantastic conversation. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you or learn more about some of the courses that you have and the things that you're doing out there, where's the best place we could point them? Oh, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> I appreciate that. My website, playlouder.com. My slogan is work smarter, plan better, play louder. All my information and knowledge is there for free, frankly. You just have to read a whole bunch of articles to get it. Otherwise, I have courses in my kind of three pillars of content, which I call like personal finance, entrepreneurship, and investing. And I have kind of distilled versions of my content for each of those pillars in these courses that you can buy. And one of the most popular ones is the personal finance one. It's called the Financial Independence Roadmap. And it basically walks you through how to make a plan for your future life. Perfect. We will link those in the show notes. And then Joe, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.